It's great to see all of you this Sunday after Thanksgiving. Welcome to all of you joining us online, too. Pray that your Thanksgiving was good also. We're already to the end of our Roman series. Today's our last message in Practical Christianity. It's uh, zooming in on this topic of hope. Today's also the first Sunday of Advent, which, as you've already heard, is also centered on this concept of hope. Uh, we've been through quite a journey here the last few weeks at Grace Point when it comes to Romans 13, 14, and 15. I've had some great conversations with some folks. Paul begins by talking about, you know, submitting to authorities. Then he gets into another not very controversial subject matter, uh, disputable matters and how to deal with those. And, and then brings us to this big idea that really what's, what's supposed to happen for us as Christ followers, we're to be one mind, in, and one voice and centered on Jesus Christ. There's supposed to be this divine unity uh, happening. And now we get to one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans 15, 13. And basically this is still centered on Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to read this verse out loud together. It's going to set the tone uh, for today's message. If you're at home, I would suggest that you read it out loud at home also uh, with us here uh, at, at, at Grace Point as we read it out loud. So here we go. Let's read this verse out loud uh, together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this hope is centered in Christ. Paul hasn't left that topic at all. It's not like he says, oh, I've talked on Jesus and have unity in Jesus. Now let's talk about hope. No, that hope is a hope that's focused on Christ, on what he's done for us, and the promises he's made. We'll get to that here as the message unfolds uh, this morning. And like I mentioned, um, today we light the hope candle. And basically this first Sunday of Advent, what we're doing is we're saying, we remember God that you promised to send Jesus Christ and that you're a promise-keeping God, that you fulfill your prophecies. Therefore, we have hope in you. We trust what you have done. We trust what you will uh, do in our lives. Um, so I know there's uh, a lot of things going on in life right now. I, I, I don't know where you're at. I find myself frequently being full of despondency and some despair. Anybody relate to me on that? I made the critical mistake this Thanksgiving weekend of actually reading Apple News. Should never have done that. Because what was the headline? So oh, this new coronavirus, right? That's in South Africa, that's now making its way all throughout the world. It might be worse than Delta. Oh, right? It's all this kind of, you know, phonetic kind of crazy talk going on. And it, it's unsettling to hear. And I said, oh, great, here we go again, round four or whatever it is now. And then, uh, you know, I get a call from church, uh, from somebody here at church that a couple people are in the hospital because they have uh, COVID, not doing real well. And then I get uh, uh, a notification via some social media, my wife basically, that someone's passed away in our church and I'm sad about that moment, that, that person. And, you know, and all of a sudden I'm feeling a little down. Anybody ever have that happen to them? where you get overwhelmed and you get kind of despondent, you get a little bit depressed. And, and, and I had to remind myself, we have a hope, right? Jesus Christ. We have this hope that's supposed to prevail in the midst of whatever we're going through, and it's Jesus Christ. By the way, listening to the Jacks game yesterday helped revive me. So, you know, that was well, quite the victory for the Jacks to just hear them do so well. But the hope of Jesus, friends, is like this mighty weapon in an in an arsenal that we're supposed to have uh, of weaponry uh, that God has provided for it. Um, so 
let me ask you this, this question. How is your hope holding up? How are you doing in the midst of everything that's going on? Are you, are you holding on to the hope of Christ? Or do you find yourself despairing and being a bit despondent? Um, are the struggles of this world driving you to trust in Christ more? Or are they driving you maybe away from Christ a bit, if you're honest? Life rightly handled always drives us into Christ. Now, I work out, and I don't like to work out much. Anybody like to work out? I do it more because I'm supposed to do it, not because I think, oh, this is a good thing to do. And so, frequently, I'll listen to my Bible in my earbuds and listen to massive amounts of, of, of Bible as I'm working out in the hopes that somehow I won't notice that I'm working out. Amen? <laughs> it does help. So, the other day, I was listening to the Bible, and I got to First Chronicles chapter 11, and I thought, this is really an interesting chapter. It talked about David's three mighty men, and then his 30 mighty fighting men, and then it went on to talk about all of Israel, and it said, together, collectively, they provided David's kingship with strong support, and they extended his influence over the land. And I, I, these three mighty fighting men, they were just instrumental. They were just key in David's, you know, success. And I begin to think, and I'm not taking this analogy too far, I hope, today. But I begin to think, we have three mighty fighting men, three mighty fighting allies, allies in our uh, arsenal, our, in our spiritual equipping that God has provided for us. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and what? love, right? If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard that verse. Now, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And these are like key equipping allies for us as followers of Jesus Christ to do valiantly in our lives. So, hear this. The follower of Jesus has three mighty allies. Faith, hope, and love. And these are just essential for extending the kingdom of God, for the the kingdom of God to prevail in the land. The people of God have to be people of great faith, great hope, and great love. Amen? And they're just essential for us to do what God has ordained for us to do, and that's to extend the kingdom of God over the land. So in Romans 15, 13, Paul takes us specifically to what? Hope. Now, I don't know if you've been around church for a while. I've been around church for a long time now. Faith gets talked about a lot. Love gets talked about all the time. Hope, hardly ever. And I think we do that a little bit to our detriment. Hope is so essential for the Christ follower to have during times like we live in. So otherwise, we're, it's so easy, easy to get cynical, to get angry, to get despairing, to get despondent. And, and I think some of this kind of thought process of despondency and despairing and helplessness and hopelessness has kind of infiltrated the church to just some degree. I know I, know I do battle with it. And so... Here's the reality of this hope that I'm talking with you about today. It's not a vague kind of I hope so. I, it's not just wishful thinking kind of hope. It's a hope that has its focus firmly on Christ, what Christ has done, and what he has promised to do. And that then sets the tone of your spiritual well-being. Amen? You have this hope. 
Now, Paul's been talking to us all throughout Romans 13, 14, and 15 on these really touchy matters. But he brings us to this big thought that in Christ, there's to be this unity in followers. We're to have one mind and one voice, right? And then he gets into this, may the God of hope. What? You know, fill you with his hope as you trust in him and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And the Holy Spirit fill you to overflowing, right? With this hope. He hasn't left Jesus here. You understand that, right? This hope is found only in Jesus Christ. And it's to be this really strong, enabling ally in our walk in the Christian faith. So our big thought today is this. True hope is really only experienced within the confines of correct focus on what Jesus has done and promised to do. If you find yourself suffering from some despondency or despair or getting angry easily. Anybody get angry easily right now? I, I find myself, I'm, I get angry a little more easily recently. I'm just frustrated. Anybody else is frustrated with things going on? Well, what happened, what's happening is we're losing the focus of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at life outside this confines of focus on Christ. And then we begin to experience hopelessness and despondency and some despair. So our hope is not wishful thinking, amen? Our hope has an object, Jesus, amen? Amen? amen. Boy, you know, today it's like pulling teeth from you guys to get an amen. First hour, I thought they were taking a, you know, they were having the old hangover from turkey nap during church. Come on now. Often in life, we want this like three-step kind of methodology. Well, I'll just do this, this, and this. And life works out well. It's not like that. What we have is a hope in relationship in Christ. It's a person and it's a relationship. And Jesus is our hope. It's just that simple. Um, I have an illustration. I shared this a long time ago. Some of you may vaguely remember it. It bears repetition this morning because it makes a great point. An engineer, a psychologist, and a theologian were out hunting together. And they were in Canada on this hunting excursion, and they came across this isolated cabin, far removed from any town, uh, because friendly hospitality is part of the common practice uh, and virtue uh, of those who do this wilderness kind of adventure. They went up to the cabin because they were tired, and they knocked on the door to see if they could rest a while in the cabin. There was no one there, so they let themselves into this cabin. Now, this cabin was super simple. It had just two bedrooms, or two rooms, excuse me, and just some simple furniture around it. But they noticed something really kind of bizarre. There's this great big pot-belly stove that was suspended from the rafters by some cabling hanging in the middle of the room. Well, this led to some interesting discussion. Right away, the um, psychologist went to where they go. And he said, well, evidently the trapper who owns this cabin is lonely. And he curls up underneath the pot belly stove. And in the warmth of that, you know, has that re, uh, reoccurring womb experience. You know, and I thought, yeah, that sounds like psychologists. Anyway, uh, then the engineer, being much more practical, uh, said, no, no, he's just observing the law of thermodynamics. He's got the stove elevated up because he's figured out that it distributes the heat much, much more efficiently and more evenly by being suspended in the middle of the room. Well, then the theologian had to get his two cents in there too. And so he says, no, nah, it's about fire and the, the significance of fire, you know, being lifted up. And, you know, so there's some, some religious implications going on here. So then about this time, the trapper shows up. 
And now they're really interested. Why is this potbelly stove suspended in the middle of your cabin? So they ask him, what's going on with the potbelly stove? Why We're having this discussion. Why is this thing suspended in the middle of your cabin like this? And the, the, the trapper just succinctly says, hey, I had plenty of cable, but not enough stovepipe. <laughs> okay, some of you... Ask when you get home what that means, okay? And they'll be told what that means. But anyway, um, and so basically what, what, what the point of the, but this illustration is this. We see our lives through our experiences, our particular educational bent, um, and we have these filters of interpretation. We don't see life frequently as it is. We see it as we think it should be. Just look at what's going on in the world today and all the discussion that goes on around all these controversial issues. People see life through what? Their filters, their life experiences, their education, their friendships, and all that kind of stuff. Now, here's what happens to us if we're not careful. We make some things complicated that we should not make complicated. And we get convoluted uh, theories going on here. And I want to just tell you this, church. I want you to hear this. It's this simple. We have a hope, and his name is Jesus Christ, period. Don't make it complicated. Because when we do that, when we complicate that, and we lose the simple sight of Jesus as our hope, then guess what we begin to experience? Anxiety and stress and fear and hopelessness and despondency and despair. And the world needs to see a church today Focused on Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't lose the simplicity of that. Sometimes the most profound things in life are just utterly simple. Amen? And the hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. What he has done and what he has promised to do. It's just that simple. That is the source of our hope. We have an object to our hope. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, God's plan all along would be that we'd find hope in Jesus Christ. It's not something he just thought of. It's a common big theme of the Bible. Let me take you through a short Bible history lesson. You okay with that? Because you have no choice. And so, other than you could get up and walk out, I guess, so you evidently do have a choice. But right away in the, in the book of Genesis, we see God creates Adam and Eve, and, and they're in perfect relationship with God, unfiltered relationship with God. Amen, right? And, and they're, they're interacting with God face to face, but then what happened? They sinned. And sin corrupted that relationship and corrupted humanity. And so God pronounces consequences. We call it the curse in Genesis chapter 3. And he says specifically to the serpent, he said this, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring. He, the woman's offspring, which is a reference to Jesus Christ, by the way, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So right away, even in this most terrible moment in the history of humanity, right? God, even as he's pronouncing the curse, that, that we call the curse. I call it the consequences of sin, all right? Even in the midst of all that pronouncement, God does what? He gives us a word of hope because he is what? God of hope, amen? That's his title, God of hope. So even in the midst of what seemed to be a hopeless moment in the history of humanity, he says there is hope. Where's that hope? It's in the confines of focus on Jesus Christ. 
God's already turning people to the focus of what he's going to do in Jesus Christ. Well, then, if you read Genesis, you know that it covers a lot of history really fast. And we get to this man named Abram. And God appears to Abram, who he later changes his name to Abraham, in Genesis 12. And God called him to leave his father's land and go to the land that God had for him. And God promises to bless Abram, to make his name great. He was at that point childless, to make his name great. And this promise concluded, concluded by saying that all people will be blessed through your offspring. Well, how are they blessed through Abraham's offspring? Jesus came through Abraham's offspring, right? So even as history begins to unfold rapidly in the book of Genesis, what, what do we see? This common theme. God says there's a hope. It's within the confines of focus on Jesus Christ, and he keeps giving us this revelation. Amen? Because this isn't a new plan for God, and hope is a big deal uh, to, to, to us to understand as followers of God. Well, then let's move on now to the book of Ruth. We began this series of Romans 12 weeks ago, and we referenced Ruth. But we reference Ruth in this regard. She is a wonderful example of the power of submission. Do you remember that? Some of you remember that. That was kind of an interesting message. I had some feedback on authority because people have thoughts on that. Uh, but Ruth is a wonderful example of the power of submission to authority. Well, I want to return back to Ruth because now I'm going to look at Boaz a little bit with you because he is illustrative of Christ and what Christ would do for broken bitter people. So in the book of Ruth, we read about this lady named Naomi and her husband Elimelech, and they leave Bethlehem, and they go to uh, Moab because there's a famine in the land. While they're in Moab, uh, uh, the two sons of Naomi marry some Moabite woman, one of them being Ruth. Well, then tragedy hits, and, and Elimelech, the two sons, die. And Ruth is, is, is left there with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi is just full of despondency and despair and sadness and bitterness, right? Because of what's happened to her. Well, they hear that things are going well back in Bethlehem, so they go back, okay? And when they return, she says to the people, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Instead, you call me Mara, which means bitter. I'm just bitter. Life's been bitter. I'm broken in half. I'm full of despondency and despair. You ever been there? I mean, this is part of the human condition, especially apart from Christ. And so life has to go on. So you got these two women, Ruth, mother-in-law, Naomi, and Ruth decides to go glean in the field, which is common practice at that time, to get some food so they could live. Life goes on. Even in the midst of hard things, you have to still eat and do that kind of thing. So Ruth begins to glean in the field, and it turns out to be the field of Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. To their family. And when she comes home and tells Naomi she's gleaving in this field of this man named Boaz, Naomi gets a little more excited and you can see what? Hope is bubbling up. It's beginning to rise in this girl who says, call me Mara, call me bitter. Right? And she says, stay there. And Boaz says to Ruth also, stay in my field, I'll protect you. And we begin to see a little bit of the nature of Jesus Christ start to be revealed here in the story. And then Naomi says, why should I take care of you, Ruth? Here's what you do. You go to him at night and you tell him to spread the corner of his robe over you. And here's what this means, this example of Boaz here and covering the corner of his robe over 
uh, Ruth that request. And she does that, by the way, she makes that request. This is what it means. In summary, Ruth asked Boaz, save her and Naomi to rescue them because they were helpless with no resources of their own. And she asked Boaz to be their deliverer. Does this sound Christ-like to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he had this obligation to do this because he was a kinsman redeemer. Now, what kinsman redeemer means is this. He was obligated to redeem, ransom, deliver, to fulfill the duties of a relationship of buying them back because he was related to them. So it was his job to buy them back out of this despair, to restore the land that they had lost uh, back to them, and to preserve the family name of Elimelech. All right? And so... Boaz did as Ruth requested. He redeemed the land and he married her and they had a child. And it's interesting, as you read that little book of Ruth, then Ruth, is, uh, uh, Naomi, excuse me, is sitting there with the baby on her lap and the women gather around her and says, praise be to God who has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. And it's a foreshadowing, friends, uh, 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 of what God would do in Jesus Christ because God is a God of hope and he's constantly telling this throughout scripture that he is a God of hope. So Boaz foreshadowed what Jesus would do for those who put their faith in him. This is to instill in us hope because this is what Jesus is to us. See, before the fall, we belonged to God. We lived in the land of plenty. It's called the Garden of Eden. There was perfect relationship with God. Amen, right? And what happened when we experienced the fall, when our four parents, Adam and Eve, our mom and dad, so to speak, of the human race, when they sinned, what happened? They sold us out. They sold the land. They gave dominion of the land over to who? Satan. And the demonic. Well, God wasn't going to leave us in that condition of hopelessness. He had a plan of redemption for us. And, and, and basically, the whole interaction of, of, of Boaz with Ruth was based on uh, Leviticus chapter 25, where God says this to Israel in verses 23 through 25. The land of Israel belongs to me. You are aliens and tenants on my land, so to speak. Therefore, you don't own the land. I own the land. And even though you sell it, I'm going to make a way for that land to stay in your family's name. And he did this kinsman redeemer kind of revelation to the people of Israel, saying your nearest relative can come buy the land back so that you don't lose your name out of the land because the land is mine. And we have a lot of talk today going on about freedoms and all that kind of stuff. You know what? I want to tell you this, folks. I want you to hear this from me now. And open your hearts. Our identity is in Jesus Christ, period, and he owns us. Amen? That's the way it was at the beginning, and that's the way it is restored in Jesus Christ. And so God saw our condition of lostness, and so he decided to send a near kinsman redeemer for us, a relative, one of us. His name is Jesus. And he came and he died for us, right? And he bought us back. He purchased us. He redeemed us. Boaz was foreshadowing what would happen for us. We were broken. We were bitter. We were despairing. We were despondent because the land had been sold out. And we were, we were now people without a name, 
without a place, amen? And then God comes in the person of Jesus Christ and he buys us back. And now our identity is in Jesus Christ. And he is our sovereign. He is over the land in his rightful position again, amen? You see, the story of Boaz points us to Christ. And hope is found within the confines of correct understanding and focus on Jesus Christ. I love Ruth 3.16. It's one of those real telling verses in the Bible, if you know what it means. Uh, so Ruth had gone to Boaz and said, spread the corner of your garment over me. And he does it. And he says, blessed be you, my daughter. You didn't go seeking after younger men. You came me, to me. You did what was right and all that kind of stuff. And so, so Naomi says to Ruth, how did it go with Boaz? And, uh, you know, did he spread her, the garment over her? And the more literal translation of this interaction goes like this. Who are you, Ruth? Are you still the widow of Malone, my son? Or are you now the bride of Boaz? And she says, I'm the bride of Boaz. And hope is just rising. And I want to ask you all that question today. I want you to think about this. Because God has offered us this redemption. So the question for each one of us to ask today of ourselves is, who am I? Am I still this widower, this, you know, person that suffered loss, that, uh, you know, is still in this place of despondency under the rule of Satan? Or am I the bride of Christ? Who am I? And if you're the bride of Christ, listen to this. If you're the bride of Christ then may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit cause hope to overflow in you. That's what Paul's saying in Romans, amen? As the bride of Christ, as a church unified in Jesus Christ, may the God of hope, as you, you know, trust in him, may you be filled with this overflowing hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who are you today? Amen? I ask you that. Who are you? I frequently have to ask myself that. Who am I when I start feeling despondent and angry and have those bad moments? Who am I? What defines me? So those who place their faith in Jesus have the hope of Jesus as their kinsman, redeemer, this is just a huge theme of the Bible, this hope. It's just a huge theme of the Bible. And um, it's, it's so good. Let me, let me ask you some takeaways today. We're going to wrap this up relatively quickly today. Takeaways. Again, how is your hope holding out? Here's a couple takeaways. God of hope means that God inspires and imparts hope to his people. God of hope. That label, that title means God inspires and imparts hope to his people. That's illustrative through the Genesis account I read to you today of the fall. It's illustrative through how God interacted with Abram. It's illustrative with how God interacted with Boaz and Ruth. It's illustrated through the promise of Romans 15, 13. It's just all over the Bible that the God of hope means he inspires and imparts hope to his people. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into what? Y'all woke up, didn't you? Into what? 
a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have living hope in Jesus Christ. See, hope is experienced in the confines of the correct focus on Jesus. Amen? And we are to be people who have a living hope. So I ask you again, how is your hope holding up in these times? How are you doing? It's one of the mighty three arsenal that we're to have as a Christ follower that helps us to take the land. It coupled along with faith and love are, are to be defining characteristics of the body of Jesus Christ and they are like these mighty fighting allies that enable us to take the message of Christ into the land and extend it. Amen? If we don't have faith, hope, and love, what message do we have for a culture that's full of bitterness and despondency and hopelessness? What do we have for them? Faith, hope, and love. Secondly, second takeaway is this. Ask the Holy Spirit to grace you with hope. Just ask for it. You have not because you ask not, God says. And God says this. If you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And we are to ask the Holy Spirit then to do these things in us like grace us with hope. So if you're feeling a bit despondent and hopeless today, what do you do? Holy Spirit filling with the hope of God. Amen? Because God has given us this title. I am the God of hope. And when we ask for hope, what are we asking? We're asking for something God readily wants to give to us. Here's what's interesting about this whole kinsman redeemer uh, thing that was re- revealed in, in the story of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, a kinsman redeemer had to be able to do two things. One is buy the land back. He had to be able to purchase the land. He had to be able to pay the price. Okay? Boaz evidently was a rich man, could pay the price of buying back Elimelech's land, restoring it then to Naomi and taking Ruth as his wife. Okay? Jesus could buy back us, right? He had the purchasing power to do that. He's the only one that could. He's the perfect son of God. The only one equipped to buy us back out of our sinful conditions. But secondly, that kinsman Redeemer had to be able to be powerful enough to push out former tenants of the land that didn't belong there anymore. He'd have to, if by force, remove them from the land. I want to tell you this. I want to take this right to Jesus Christ. He's powerful, amen? And the power of the Holy Spirit, we're told, will put into us an overflowing hope. So listen, sometimes we have tenants that are not welcomed in our land. Once we become a Christ follower, hopelessness, despondency, anxiety, fear, they are unwelcome tenants in the hearts of the Christ follower. Amen? And we have to begin to pray in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Take these tenants that are not welcomed in me and by your power, Spirit, remove them. We have to pray with that kind of an attitude and understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? And so the second takeaway here today is simply this. Pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you with an overflowing hope. So may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm preaching this word to me, friends, as much as to you. I have been so overwhelmed at times 
with hopelessness and despondency. It's just the time we live in. I would never for the life of me want to go through the last couple of years that we've gone through. How about you? I've watched people die that you can't visit them and see the despondency and despair of the families. I've watched people isolate now and try to insulate and go into these, I'm going to conclude until this thing ends. I've watched others, you know, come up with all these theories of what's going on and I think the pot is being raised, the stove's being raised, and you know, all these theories of going on and things. And listen, church of Jesus, listen to me. We have one hope, Jesus Christ, amen? We have to say radically focus on Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only hope we have. We focus on him. We focus on what he has done. We focus on what he's going to do. And that is our hope, our hope alone. Amen. And may Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, cause us a hope that overflows and that affects the life and that we can extend that hope into the land. Amen. I'm done. I need to quit. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing a song. Lord God, I want to thank you for this last message of practical Christianity. I know for me personally, this is probably the most relevant message for me. I, I have a feeling that's the case with a lot of people. There's an, it, we can easily get overwhelmed with bad news. It just seems like the headlines anymore are just one bad news item after another. And I want to pray, Lord God, that that wouldn't send our, our, that wouldn't, wouldn't uh, set our heart's tone. But instead, what would set our heart's tone, Lord, would be Jesus Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit that we'd overflow with hope, Lord, even in the midst of everything that's going on. We have you, Jesus. I want to thank you, Jesus. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That what you promised to do, you'll do. As we lit the hope, hope candle today, what we're doing is celebrating all the prophecies that spoke of you. Several hundred that spoke of your coming, Jesus. They're all fulfilled in you, which gives us this great hope that what you say will happen in the future will indeed take place. And so I pray that we'd be people of great hope today, that this uh, mighty ally would be one that takes his rightful place beside faith and love in the armor of the of Christ follower of all of us, Lord, and that we would uh, extend, you know, your kingdom over the land, Jesus, as David experienced with his mighty men and this mighty three and the whole land of Israel coming alongside him, Lord. I just pray for just a movement to happen, an awakening and may it be hope-filled, Lord. We just love you and praise you. Thank you for this message. It's like an hour, Jesus, that we need to hear. In your name and by your blood, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.